This week on Trek Mary Kill. Guinan, Pulaski, Data. Next. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Counselor Troy will have her baby in about 36 hours. News of an alien pregnancy alarms the crew. Something which I can only describe as a presence entered my body. Could this mysterious entity pose a deadly threat? Destroy it now. Diana Muldor, Whoopi Goldberg, join the crew of Star Trek The Next Generation. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast where two friends try to decide which episodes of Star Trek are worth your valuable time. We're friends, right, Kristen? Yeah. I mean, if we're not, um, then I don't know what to say, Brian. Wow. <laughs> I like to think we are. We're kicking off yeah. the second season of our show with the second season premiere of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Child, written by Jaron Summers and John Povel and Maurice Hurley, directed by Rob Bowman, who doesn't get enough credit uh, directing Star Trek. It premiered in syndication November 21st, 1988, which means the 35th anniversary is right around the corner, meaning it will be... Legally old enough to become president of the United States, Kristen. Mm. Wow. And you know what? Just in the nick of time. <laughs> There's a primary coming up. Let's get the child in there. There is, yep. yes. Yep. <laughs> All right, a quick synopsis. Counselor Troy is shocked to find out she is pregnant. Wesley Crusher is weighing his options for the future with the help of the mysterious proprietor of the ship's lounge, Ten Forward. I don't know why they worded it like that. Anyway, not mentioned and serving as this week's story engine, Memory Alpha letting me down here. Uh, but the story engine is there's a plasma plague on the planet Rachelis, which the Enterprise is transporting biological samples from to a research base. So that's the ship is in jeopardy that they need for the week. Do you remember the first time you saw this episode? Um, I remember Counselor Troy being pregnant. And so... I'm not sure if you're aware, but like younger audiences, when it comes to things like soap operas, they actually really enjoy like pregnancy storylines and like babies, like teenagers and everything. Like I was a little younger than that, but yeah. So I'm not surprised. I was like, oh, Counselor Troy is pregnant. She has like a baby immediately. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I had heard about this episode through like reading about Star Trek and reading about the history of it and learning that it was originally a concept or a script for Star Trek phase two, the aborted Star Trek series that led to the emotion picture instead. And so I knew about all that before I actually wound up seeing it. And I just remember being like, Oh wow, this is uh, surprisingly different from the first season. That uh -huh. was the other part of it. It features like the whole second season is a big course correction from season one tonal shift uh, but it's also where a lot of the next generation gets figured out. I've ranked the 10 most important things that this episode establishes going forward. Kristen, you're free to disagree with this ranking. Number 10, mm -hmm. Dr. Pulaski, because this is the only season of the show she's in. Yeah. Uh, number nine, long-haired Counselor Troy. They finally figured out that Counselor Troy can have different looks yeah. and she doesn't look like a cheerleader. Uh, the music, they kind of mature the music from the super synthy, cloying, mm -hmm. distracting noise of season one. Yeah. Uh, like the, they stopped using the um, Tomorrowland music, as much. <laughs> yeah. the Space Mountain music, as I call it. 
Uh, number seven, cool shit with the transporter. Uh, yeah. We have a, a bit where they're where Jordy has constructed these this containment these containment pods within a containment device, and then we see a cool bit of a budget saving where we hear the sound effect of the transporter beam and then just see a computer graphic of all the boxes appearing inside. Very Uh clever, but also just cool. Number six, Worf being funny and not just the butt of a joke. Uh I think in season one, he was largely just the butt of the joke. Yeah. And here in season two, he's, he's both finally. And he has good jokes. Uh, Number five, Jordy is chief engineer. This might be my controversial ranking. We all love Jordy the forge. We all love LeVar Burton Jordy being the chief engineer of the enterprise is like, you know, it was, that was the biggest surprise to me. I'm like, Oh, there was no ceremony. The first time I saw this, I'm like, he's just the chief engineer. Like uh-huh. you can tell it was, it was a uh, TV writers going, it's the season premiere. We got to change some things. Let's not explain everything. Let's just have the changes happen. Uh, number four, a slightly less goofy version of the Wesley Crusher story. There's a, like a 5% increase in the maturity of everything going on with Wesley where Picard kind of just treats him as not just some weird special kid. He's just part of the bridge crew who's got stuff to learn. Mm -hmm. And then more controversy. Number three is Riker's beard. This is, you know, growing (laughs) the beard, growing the beard is, is sometimes some TV writers use that to describe when a show improves season over season. Like this is the year that show X grew the beard. Because this is kind of when people consider Next Generation getting better. And then my last two. Number two, 10 forward. And number one, Guinan. Mm -hmm. Those are the 10 most important uh, changes that Star Trek made in season two. Next Generation made in season two. Do you disagree with this ranking? No. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Guinan, one of the best characters in Star Trek now that I'm an old man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've never been unhappy to see her. She's been in Generations. She was in Star Trek Picard season two, which I hated the season. But every time Guinan, any version of Guinan was in it, I was very happy to see her. I, I For some reason, that character is just blessed with, yes, this is a good character to have. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg's great. Fantastic. Welcome aboard. 10 forward. Great idea. We've already talked about this, but she was a huge star at the time. Like, mm-hmm film star yeah if i were to be like i want to be on this syndicated tv show as the talk to character yeah is it wasn't really done back then no according to rob bowman again the great director which you know we did elementary dear data we liked him he's done a lot of doesn't get enough credit uh he really wanted this season to kick off in a big way uh he wanted to use different camera angles, I think multiple cameras as well. He really wanted to make it clear, like, we're back. This is a it's the new season. You've been waiting all summer and then some uh, because of the, the writer's strike of 88. So, like, th- this is the we want to give fans something to come back and feel like they uh, this is everything that they've been missing. And that is what the episode feels like. I feel like uh, in a big part, there is something sort of special about the way it's made. The, the story and all that stuff we can, we're going to get into. And obviously they're reusing a lot of the same sets and all the same costumes, but you can tell that there is an attempt to like, how do we modernize kind of this chintzy stuff that we inherited from season one? And it looks better. It's kind of how I feel. Uh-huh. Sorry. You mentioned Whoopi Goldberg, 
But before that, they added a new cast, another new cast member, Diana Moldar as Dr. Pulaski. And we talked about her in the elementary dear data episode, but uh, I'm going to read, I said like she, remember when I told you she made more than the rest of the cast? Yeah. And you were like, what? Well, I'm reading from this oral history called the 50 year mission. This one's the next 25 years written by Mark A. Altman and Ed Gross. Um, And I'm just going to read a couple of things. She says, Dinah Moldar says, everyone welcomed me on the set, but I was making more money and I had better billing than the rest of the cast. You just fill it from people who really hadn't done anything else, who were a little insecure. I did everything I could to make everyone feel secure and work well. I'm a very nice person. I'm probably too nice. I take it on the chin. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure, Jan. A couple of quotes about her leaving the show because she only lasted a season. It wasn't working out at all. It had nothing to do with me. I wouldn't have stayed. There was a lot I loved about it, but it was not what I thought it was going to be. You go into something with a good group of people, but it wasn't a great, creative, wonderful world. It was all tech. There was no humanity in it. There was nothing to get my creative juices going whatsoever. And that was a waste of time for me, to me. So my leaving the show was very mutual. Um, Then she has a shot at the directors were all kids who had just come over from the old country and didn't know what they were doing. It was not a great creative mix of people and directors, but it, from it the was old fun. country. That's what she said. Um, but it was fun. None of it is regretted. What's happened since then is they pretended I wasn't in it and that I was just a guest person. Yes. And then I got to read well, this. It last literally part. says she's a guest person yeah. at the top of the show. And then I got to read this last part. I love being part of it. From there, I went to L.A. Law, and there was a lot of snobbery there. Like, how could you have done something like that? They would be so jealous now if they knew the residuals I made on Star Trek The Next Generation, which paid beautifully. (laughs) I bet so. And she famously was written out of the show by falling down the elevator shaft in L.A. Law. (laughs) In L.A. Law, I was like, yeah. I'm like, that doesn't sound like a Star Trek. I don't recall that. <laughs> She's still alive. Yes. Still cashing those checks. That's right. Uh, quick memory alpha note. This episode was actually a rewrite of an episode with the same title written for Star Trek Phase 2, a series that was scrapped in favor of producing Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, this script and Devil's Do, which shows up in TNG Season 3, those were earmarked for possible recycling for Star Trek The Next Generation in anticipation of what became the Writers Guild strike of 1988. Uh, and there are some pretty big differences between this script uh, that appears in Next Generation and the original one in The Child. Jaron Summers and John Poville wrote that episode together. And then I mentioned in the writing credits, it also had an and Maurice Hurley. Uh, the way it's structured... Povel and Summers wrote it together so they get an ampersand for their and and then A-N-D spelled out Maurice Hurley then did basically like a rewrite to conform it to the next generation but also what he wanted to do. There is no uh, alien uh, disease. There's no none of this plague stuff in the original script. That's new. And then there's some other big changes uh, involving what's going on with the child and all that stuff, which we'll get into a little bit later. Huh. Just the, about the whoopee thing. Whoopi Goldberg, Rick Berman says in the same book, once it was announced that Gates McFadden was leaving, we got a call from Whoopi Goldberg's manager saying that she wanted to have lunch with me and Jean. We met her for lunch and she was a huge fan of the show. She asked, have you recast the role of the doctor? 
But they were like, no, we don't want her to be the doctor. That's not going to be a fit. So what if we create another character? That's how we get to Guinan. Whoopi Goldberg says, Gene Roddenberry is Thoreau. I met with him and Rick Berman as I begged to be on the show. They thought I was kidding. I said, no, you don't understand. We're talking about Star Trek. I really need to be part of this. They thought it was very interesting and Gene wanted to know why. And then her line, which I love, she's like, it was a vision that showed that there were black people in the future. Uh-huh. The thing that I didn't have was the clear explanation of why Dr. Pulaski was brought in in the first place. I was a little fuzzy on why Gates McFadden left the show. Obviously, the studio put out this whole idea of like, she wants to pursue other opportunities. Uh, uh-huh. But it was just it was just misogyny. So, uh-huh. <laughs> the MarySue.com wrote about this this past June. Uh, they quote, in the 2012 documentary, Making It So, Continuing Star Trek The Next Generation, McFadden states that she was forced out because a male producer took issue with her criticism of sexist writing on the show. Patrick Stewart and other cast members were reportedly horrified and appalled, with no one having guessed that the producer might retaliate. And then Gates McFadden says, what was great was they got rid of the producer and asked me to come back. So for me, that was terrific. I know that the fans had something to do with it. They, the producers, would never admit that, but I know it's true. I was surprised at how powerful the fans felt about things and vocal about it. Uh, And I guess there was a letter writing campaign and then Patrick Stewart weighed in. He wanted her back and all that stuff. We know who the producer is. It's the season two showrunner and the guy who rewrote the phase two script that became this episode, Maurice Hurley, who is now dead. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. Well, but it was him. Right, so if anyone's wondering, a, a call from his lawyer. Okay. Yeah, great. It, it was him. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so we get into the grades. Yes. All right. All right. Great scenes. Um, I actually liked when captain Picard doesn't know Dr. Pulaski's name. And the very first scene when they're like, where is she? And then she's, and then he just assumes she's throwing back drinks at 10 forward on her first day on the enterprise. Cause F her man. Right. I don't know. I might want to come back to this because we haven't really gotten into other parts of it, but there's a scene where uh, Tro- counselor choice about to give birth to the baby and Worf and his security men are in the delivery room. And he's like, I, I need to kill that baby. <laughs> Like, are you just his eyes, okay. like, mm-hmm. like i got to we gotta kill that infant he was the one in the conference room the whole time being like abortion he was like michael Caine, the cider house rules i should have put, yeah, put that one in there too because that's the only logical logical thing for anyone to do if i'm pregnant i don't know how you you as a woman so or anybody who can have a baby your initial thought would be abortion just just <laughs> honestly let's be real it's the future too uh and then also i had uh there's a on there's apparently an onboard daycare full of puppies oh yeah i labeled that as there's a puppy mill on the enterprise <laughs> yeah where they get these puppies well i mean spot gets pregnant later on so obviously crew members have pets or something and there 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 must be a dog park somewhere uh on, <laughs> on the ship. A pet relief area. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I had Picard and Wesley in the turbo lift. You know, they mm-hmm. with Gates McFadden being fired, uh, they still had her son on the ship and they had to deal with that. And the, you know, the episode kind of dances around as Wesley going to leave to go join his mom. 
because that's what all kids do, right? They just follow their parents wherever they go. Uh, actually, sure. that's kind of a it's kind of like a weird theme about this episode or this motif was this idea of like sons distancing themselves from their mothers when it's yeah. time. But it's a nice scene because it's not goofy. Like Will Wheaton is acting in that scene and Patrick Stewart's acting off of him. And they actually have a conflict between them because Picard is trying to treat him uh, not as that kid that's connected to this woman he has feelings for and is the son of his best friend. He is an officer or he is an ensign that he actually is responsible for as like a mentor and is, you know, sponsoring his admission to Starfleet. And it's a really nice scene that doesn't have any like Gene Roddenberry goofiness where he's like, (laughs) you know, talking about girls or something. And it was kind of serious for what is a weird storyline that they inherited from season one. And, and they leaned into it really nicely. Yeah. Should we talk about that scene in the, in the observation lounge where the men are talking about what to do with the fetus? (laughs) Um, you know, I have it, uh, in a different category. I think it's a great um, scene because Diana Moldar, that's like her first big scene in front of everybody or with everybody uh-huh. to the audience, to the characters. And she has immediate authority. I think one of the things about season two, like I get people didn't like Dr. Pulaski, but I hadn't like lived with Star Trek enough by the time I started seeing her in episodes that I was missing Dr. Crusher. But I also was like, I, I like Dr. Pulaski just fine. And here I think she kind of hits the ground running in a nice way. I think the point of the scene actually kind of does recognize like this is a bunch of men talking about what a woman should do with her baby. Mm-hmm. So I like where it ends, where Crush- where uh, Troy's like, Captain, do whatever you think is necessary to protect the ship, but I'm having this baby. And then Picard's like, well, that ends that discussion. Uh, I thought that was great. I really thought it was a pretty, pretty solid scene. Uh, they put in a, they basically layered emotion on top of exposition in a, in a neat way. Any other great scenes? Oh, uh, no, that's it for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I gotta say that I'm always a fan of creepy kids. So when Picard wow. is like, well, I'm going to go pay my respects to Counselor Troy and meet She's this baby. baby she just has. And, and then he walks a, in. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a four-year-old boy. And he's like, hello, please don't worry. Everything is okay. But I love yeah. the bullet and Picard's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's, okay. yeah. it's like when people meet my son, they're like, whoa. <laughs> Your son's adorable. Come on. What is well, that? I didn't say he wasn't adorable, but I said that like, pe- they're, they're just in awe of the size of the lad, you know, just that's so it. big. That's so like, yes. whoa, that's like an eight year old right there. I'm like, no. Well, I think Ian Andrews still has him beat for being a four, being a four year old yes, size the day later. Definitely. <laughs> uh, Troy names her son after her her dead father, which was nice. Uh, I think what gets the short shrift in the episode is sort of the whole emotional connection <laughs> Troy has with their baby. But it's also yeah. like 80s TV. And there are attempts to point to that. And I can't believe I'm saying this, Kristen. I actually thought the last scene of the episode was kind of great because the interplay was fun. It's like, oh, we're going to warp off. But Picard says, you know, Ensign Crusher wants to remain on the Enterprise and Riker's surprised. And Picard says his remaining will create difficulties for us all. And Riker says, yes, indeed. With his mother gone, who will see to his studies? And Picard says, exactly. Yes, yes. Picard says, exactly. Of course, that duty will fall to Commander Data. 
And then Riker says, and who will tuck him in at night? And Wesley says, come on, Commander. And then Worf says, I will accept that responsibility. Yeah, I have that in <laughs> great lines because I loved it so much. And Troy says, well, now we know he'll get to now we know he'll get his sleep. So I just really thought that that was a really nice moment between all of them. It really helped the audience. It helped me. But I, you know, I don't think I'm unique from the audience. It really sold what was going on. Wesley Crusher is a part of the ship. He's part of the bridge crew. He's an acting ensign. He's learning. But it's like, this is real and this is serious. And I, I liked it. He's part of the family. It's a good scene. Anyway. All right. Best Trek tropes. The unexplained energy transference slash fluctuation. Um, you know something, some shit's going to go down. <laughs> when I'm reading an unexplained energy fluctuation. Uh, yeah. Also a plague. Yeah. That happens. There's always some kind of like, not always, but you know what I mean? Like some pathogen or whatever, some disease that could kill everybody. Some interesting thoughts or parts of that. Given what we know now, having you know lived through a pandemic, the, the lab leak theory. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Pulaski's like this looks like some scientist was playing God just to see how far they could mm -hmm. push this, and it got out of control, yeah. and it got out. Um, Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Whoopsie then the other, knuckle. yeah, that's all I had. So what else? Uh, and then um, Picard's palpable discomfort with Wesley Crusher in the turbo lift. He gets more comfortable with it later, but like the, at least the first, definitely in the first season, he was just like very uncomfortable around him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, Worf deciding Troy should definitely have an abortion. Um, <laughs> this is very, very Worf to me. It causes, it's posing a security threat. Why are we hemming and hawing about this? Obviously, you should get an abortion. Yeah, I just had a curious entity leading to a very big deal and big experience for our crew. I like when there's just curiosity leads to something happening. The Enterprise is curious about something, then they go and investigate, or Voyager does this. Uh, or when an alien's just curious about human beings, and it causes something wonderful or something terrifying to happen uh, for our crew to experience. I, I like that. So that was a good one. And one last one for me. Um, Deanna Troy uses the replicator to feed her son instead of um, cooking real food like on Strange New Worlds because <laughs> that shit's insane. And you should always use a replicator, especially if you have to feed a small, hungry child. I think uh, we should also mention Guinan giving advice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You almost always, because how of how it's delivered, so because she's so good. Anyway. Worst Trek tropes. Data being anti-abortion somehow. Um, that's wild. Like, why is that the case? Wait, how is he anti-abortion? He was, was like, like, if well, we... And, well, because Worf's like, well, we got to abort it. And he's, then Data's like, well, it's a living being, though. <laughs> like, well, what the <laughs> do you care? That's right, Captain. This is a life form. Not to allow it yeah. to develop naturally would deny us the opportunity to study it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just so he could study it. But yeah. still... Also, I'm kind of upset that they didn't just have an abortion on Star Trek, but you know. <laughs> um, like you think also, they could have still tried to abort it, but it still it survives. Yeah, or <laughs> okay, something yeah. like I don't know. I think that shows go out of their way not to have an abortion. And it's stupid. And yeah. I understand why they do it. But also. Like, that's such a normal thing of life and people should get over it. 
Like anytime I see anti-abortion nonsense, it gets it upsets me. Like there's like uh, anti-abortion nonsense on uh, TikTok. Like some girl was like, I found out I was pregnant. I was so happy. And then at my 12 week ultrasound, they said there's lots of def- deformities and what have you. And I should get more tests, but I decided, no, I'm keeping it no matter what. I'm like, are you fucking stupid? Like that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like, why don't we uh, believe in prenatal care anymore? We're just like, oh, we're just going to roll the dice on everything. It's fine. But yeah, I, I don't like. <laughs> you don't even get good needle care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all very dumb and you should just have an abortion on Star Trek and, and just per- just go on like it's normal because it is. Is this one we're going to get all the mail on? I didn't realize that, that we had so many anti-choice listeners. but Well, I hope uh, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> and if you are anti-choice, then go f*** yourself. I don't care. Have we done the worst Trek tropes? I have one more. Okay. Dr. Pulaski hating data out of the f***ing gate. Just hates his guts. <laughs> hates him. <laughs> doesn't endear anyone to her. That is why people don't like her. Because from Jump Street, like she was, yes, very authoritative. But from Jump, she was like, oh, look, it's a machine talking. Ooh. Like, just like you're being kind of rude for your first day on the job. Yeah. And yeah. she mispronounces his name. Character. Yeah. yeah. Data. And there's like, oh, you care that I mispronounce your name? <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> just yeah it's 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 a little much but i think that's why nobody liked her the character not because of anything else i well i mean obviously they miss gates mcfadden but like you weren't helping they weren't helping that character at all by writing that and trying to recreate the spock mccoy dynamic you would have had to tweak data's character a little bit in order to make that happen and you could have done it yeah you know, she's like, what's the matter, Data? What's the matter, Data? You're not going to push back? You know what I mean? She could have, like, and he could have maybe taken a moment to access, you know, some some Yo Mama jokes or something to, to yeah. get back at her. You know, then adjust his Yo attitude Mama. that way. <laughs> she, you know, Data, clap, data clapping back. You know, it just it could have happened. Yeah, but the thing is, Data's too likable. And because he doesn't, and like he strives to be human and like with Spock, it's fun because you could tell like it's like it's razzing him is fun occasionally because he's such a stick in the mud. But that's not the case for our friend Data, as uh, the doctor would say. He can also give as much as he gets Spock, whereas Mm -hmm. Data doesn't even know what game they're playing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just had one smacking down Worf because because how dare Riker suddenly jump back on the moral high ground in that observation lounge scene. Worf's like, we should abort it. And and then Riker goes, Worf, you can't assume the intent was belligerent to get uh, Troy pregnant, this alien. Uh, you well, know, but just sense. a second ago. Yeah, but just a second ago, he was saying. Who's the father? <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> I'd like to know who the father is. Thank you very much. Harumph. <laughs> yeah. One minute he needs all the information available. And then second, he's like, well, I don't, we don't know. We don't know the intention. We're going to be fine. Okay. You know, whatever. he always has time to smack down Worf. So it's just, a... yeah. Do you have any more? No. All right. Most of it's time quality. The captain and Dr. Pulaski putting counselor Troy's 
private medical business on blast in front of everybody in the observation deck. Oh like that, oh that <laughs> is wild. Uh, like, I want to. I stepped on your great lines, and but Picard's announcement is one of my great lines. So can we save that? For yes, that? yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> no, no HIPAA in the twenty fourth century. <laughs> no, uh. Uh-uh. So the delivery room bed looks like. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but they try to make it look futuristic. But it actually, looks like one of those old Soviet era maternity ward chairs, where they just have all these women like lined up on these really horrible chairs with stirrups it definitely Um, looks like medical supply company refuse from like the 60s or something absolutely in the future the women's squat to do it which you know i've heard that makes it easier but it's it's oh yeah that was how that was how it was described to me in high school i apologize i don't know how offensive this is going to be but one of my teachers was like you know yeah having it the squatting position is how women would do it and hmm this feels wrong to even get into, but this was a, I was taught by a, a Christian brothers. And so one of the brothers, which is like a religious order. And he was like, you know, try tribes in Africa. <laughs> you know, you're never going in a great place with this, but like the, yeah. the tribes will be moving um, when they were much more um, uh, migratory. And if women are pregnant and they're going to labor, they would just squat down right there pop the baby out, put it on the breast and keep moving. And I'm like, I don't think that's how yeah. it but that, but the idea that it's from the squatting. That's region, a common, yes. uh, yes. like urban legend. Yes. I, <laughs> like d- did people do that when they had no other choice? Sure. Probably. Right. right. Is that how uh, the vast yeah. majority of people gave birth or give birth worldwide in a field and then just keep going as they're migrating? Probably yeah. not. There, there was a, an attempt to draw the contrast of like, it's not necessarily like it's better now with the fluorescent lights and the the nickel, what is it? The nickel cadmium or whatever that's dropped in the baby's eyes, you know, when they're, as soon as they're born, it's oh, like this know. American healthcare. It's like a different experience for children. Uh, but yeah, that's... Yeah, you have to get that vitamin K shot yeah. first. I kind of struggle with this because we can always go to hairstyles and all that stuff. And so I'm, I couldn't really come up with like a specific most of its time quality for me. I don't really have one. Well, in Ian's room, he has a sparkly sheet set. The pillowcase. Yeah. That pillowcase looks like it was only made in 1988. So. Yeah. From like a spandex lame that they just happen to have in the costume warehouse or something or the prop warehouse. Like, yeah, yeah this, this is fine. It's probably scratchy and horrible to sleep on. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, this is great. I mean, my son would have loved it. Not touching it, but looking at it. You just reminded me, like, she pressed the button and that shade goes down over the window. Mm-hmm. And I like that. There are certain things. Uh, Jordy, when he's giving his demo of the th- unit he's built, there's that 3D image that projects on Picard's screen. So yeah. it's like these little touches of the world like, that they... It is the future, guys. Yes, that they severely get away from after the second season where they don't even like go into that. And I thought it was kind of neat. It was kind of cool to see all those little touches like that. The line must be drawn here. Great line. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not doing it. I, I know. Doing it. I heard you turning the throttle. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <You did that. laughs> um. <laughs> So at one point, Data's just repeating what Dr. Pulaski says, and he says, eager beaver? 
because <laughs> he doesn't know what that idiom means. <laughs> when she's talking about the person or thing that created the virus. Yeah. Picard's line, his announcement, a life form of unknown origin and intent is breeding right now inside Counselor Troy. Our purpose <laughs> here is to determine what is to be done about this very unusual situation. Discussion. <laughs> Can you imagine? I would die. My my boss is being like, well, someone some someone or something has knocked up Kristen, and it's our job to find out who and why. <laughs> now, uh, would any of your coworkers like to comment on it? And then all of them demand they either abort it or don't abort it, and then demanding to know who the father is. It's just an HR report, really. <laughs> I miss that they got away from him uh, setting the terms of the conversation. Discussion. Uh, suggestions. <laughs> options. You know, I like when he ends with that. It's kind of like that reminds me of that coffee talk sketch. I'll give you a topic to discuss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I like that. Uh, also, Troy other... is having an alien baby. That's right. Discuss. That's right. Um, so Ian purposely burns his finger to figure out like just as for the experience of it and then he starts crying and he goes my face is wet because my son also does he he has often been like my face is wet why is my face wet and i was like oh that's so true like wow (laughs) and then also i i didn't i didn't actually write any of it down um but the conversation between guinan and wesley that kind of convinces him that he can, he should maybe stay. Um, I liked that. But again, yeah, I so am bad at writing right things yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. Well, people will just have to go watch it and see for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also had who will tuck him in at night and Worf begrudgingly say, I will accept that responsibility. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I also have, you know, I already said it, though. Do whatever he feels necessary to protect the ship and crew, but I'm going to have this baby. McCard says, then it seems that the discussion is over uh, to our anti-choice people. That's that's how it should be. That's what it's not. It's mm-hmm. the person who's carrying it. That's It's their choice. Yeah. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. I don't have anything for this yet. Um, it is blank for right now, so I wanted to see what you were going to say. Uh, Marina Surtees. I okay. think sure. I think you're giving uh, you've got three men writing about a Barbie doll getting pregnant. And mm-hmm. and I think that it's left entirely up to her because it's not totally. Suge- eh, it's kind of suggested by the writing a little bit. She's got stuff to play. I, I can't be too critical. And she but it's the actor bringing the rest of that to bear to make it feel real, to make it feel uh, not too much, too melodramatic. And, you know, her last moment where she's looking at the little light bulb in her hand, you know, <laughs> and she has to go from this feeling of devastation to not relief. She's like this of joy. And obviously she's playing an alien. She's not she's playing a half human, half Betazoid, but like she has to be motherly, but also she has to be professional because she's the ship's counselor. I don't know. I think she, she did a good job. Out of all the times they made Troy cry in season one, starting her off crying in season two, this was mm. for good reason. Uh, so I, I thought it worked yeah. out well. Uh, I thought she did a nice job. The Shatner. I'm giving it to Hester Delt. Uh, yes! Seymour Cassell! He, he was... He was... I, I can't even... 
I don't even know where he was. He didn't know where he was the whole time. Um, <laughs> Lieutenant. I don't know what he was playing against or what, but it was just so weird. The tone, like it was, it was all those characters he plays in the Wes Anderson movies, but like put it into Star Trek and that, but like no change of tone. Like, yes. Oh, will we ever have a vaccine? Well, we may never have one. Anyway, bye. <laughs> like so, they all did all this work to, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like a Wes Anderson beat. It's like, yeah, that was weird. That happened, but yeah, Seymour Cassell, veteran character actor, plays Lieutenant when Commander. When he showed Hes- up on screen in the hat in the hazmat suit, I was dying. <laughs> he played Max's oh, dad in Rushmore. He's the elevator operator in mm-hmm. Royal Tenenbaums. He's in Life Aquatic, but I have never finished that movie. I'll have to go back and watch it. I can't even remember him being in that, actually. Yeah. And I've seen it several times. So he has like this kind of gruff, irreverent, non non uh, chain of command authority tone with Picard that kind of ruffles Picard's feathers. That's how we first meet him. He's an interesting character with a great performance, a very acerbic, trending performance. But obviously, when things get serious, he doesn't double down on being acerbic and become more sarcastic. I'm saying that because like this type of character is the stock character that all the new Star Treks go to whenever the crew runs into like another person. <laughs> it's like the first but person they like meet the is per- like a brat. <laughs> it's and he is but, that- like the performance and the del- line delivery is like straight out of like a out of like a traditional guest starring role on the original series, like that 60s television yes. way of acting. And you're it's, totally right. Like I, I enjoyed it for what it was because I've seen this guy and other things. I was like, Oh, that's just how he is. But, um, it's out of place and a little wild for the next generation. He kind of almost has a Dennis Farina tone to him. And it turns out they've actually been in a movie (laughs) together. And I wonder if they played brothers. Uh, all right. So we're in agreement there. Yeah. What part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? And I put watch out for those 36 hour pregnancies. (laughs) (laughs) We're up to no good. That's exactly what I had, but I was like, they will teach about the life force entities that are just curious to learn about mm-hmm. other life uh, experiences. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what they're not teaching? HIPAA laws. That's right. Well, they're not exist, teaching right? the damn thing about <laughs> medical privacy, workplace sensitivity to, I guess, pregnancy is no longer a protected class in Starfleet <laughs> in the future. So, I mean, uh, there was enough unusual parts of this pregnancy that you could understand why they would talk about it differently. But yes, did everyone need to be there? I guess not. Yeah, exactly. Did every <laughs> single person need to be clued in? <laughs> Especially like, you know, your former lover needs to be Involved in the initial conversation. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. I don't know. If it were me, I wouldn't appreciate it. I would have, I would have uh, taken it oh. right to the admirality and said, "You won't believe what they did." It almost seems like they make her sit at the end of the table, away from them. Yeah, and like just to stare at her. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, exactly. You pregnant one over there. Yuck. It was kind of a weird setup, and she seems like she's acting like she's done something wrong or something. Yeah, anyway, Council Troy is in the family way. <laughs> what 
are we gonna do about this bastard child? Ideas? Suggestions? <laughs> Discussion. A- anecdotes? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. um, we- do we have a placeholder for the last question yet or no? No, no, or we don't because we're... if before we change it or consider other options, we have to do it for this one. How would the predecessor show or captain resolve the conflict? We have the Ur text. I have, I'm holding in my hand right now, the original script for the child that was written for phase two. We know exactly how Captain Kirk would handle the situation. Oh, okay. We don't and... need to guess at all. He would do. He would do nothing. He would be a, a bystander who was powerless to stop what happened. Oh, okay. Uh, we get a little more knowledge in the child, the original script, where we get an explanation of uh, the child in this one. Uh, first of all, it's not Troy in the child. It's Ilea, the the bald woman from Star Trek the Motion Picture, and she gets the miracle child. Zahn is the new Spock because they weren't going to be able to get Leonard Nimoy for the show. So they decided to create a new uh-huh. Vulcan character. He explains to the baby's name is not Ian because it's a girl, not a boy. Uh, and it's Erska. And Zahn, the Vulcan, says to Kirk, thousands of centuries ago, Erska's race existed in human form. Just as humans passed through all evolutionary stages from single cell to human being within the mother's womb, it was necessary for Erska to re- experience all stages of her race's prior development. And Kirk says, are you suggesting that all this time Erska hadn't really been born? And then Ilea says, that is correct, Captain, until she had experienced all the joys and pains of living in a body and was ready to shed the unnecessary shell it represented to her. She was still in an embryonic stage for her race. I was her first womb. The Enterprise was her second. Because something's weird's happening to the Enterprise. So... Yeah, because I wasn't quite sure on what the f*** was going on on the child because I didn't understand what the motivation for any of this was. Yeah. Well, it was to learn, it seems like, but in the the original Mm -hmm. version, it's more like this is just like, you know how like the Enterprise has encountered space, you know, space babies or, you know, beings that live in space. Mm -hmm. This just seems like it's an energy being that needs to exist in different phases to become what it's going to be and uses whatever vessels are nearby. And in this case, it was Ilea and also the Enterprise. So slightly different, but that's what would have happened. He would have. <laughs> and Kirk is just as powerless as Picard is, <laughs> who doesn't even yeah. show up in like the last five or ten minutes of this or like the the resolution of this one. So. Like that's women's problems. I don't want to. Be <laughs> that's right. I'll be there at the conception part, but then my job is done. <laughs> All right, I don't actually know if I want to trek, marry, or kill this. I mean, I guess it's between. What does that mean? You don't know if you want to I give don't... it a great. <laughs> I don't love this episode, but I don't know if I. I guess I don't hate it. It's kind of got this weird chill vibe to it. It's kind of uh, very deliberate. It's almost like a hangout episode in a way. It's just like here's life in the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Here's a couple of weird things that happened. Yeah, <laughs> I love that Doctor Pulaski before before they're about to get underway with all the samples she's like by the way captain i just want to give you a heads up of what we're dealing with here if if even the least lethal version of this least lethal sample gets out everyone on the ship will be dead within an hour <laughs> yeah except data here i guess yeah ex- exactly they they forgot that they could they had that ace in the hole there so mm-hmm. 
So you're not sure. I I guess I'll trek it. I don't know. What are you going to do? Yeah, I'm going to trek it as well. I mean, it's as a season two premiere, especially, or like kicking off a new season. It's maybe not as uh, bombastic or exciting as you want, but there's enough going on in there that it's like, oh, enough yeah, changes. Yeah, I guess if we compare it to... Anything in season one. Almost season anything one in season one. Yeah. Premiere, then yeah, it's pretty good. It feels like a yeah, different show. Weird, I feel like we should trek it just for that reason, probably. We didn't even mention this. We get the Riker mounting the chair. That's the defining image of oh, the yeah. meme of how Riker sits in a chair comes from this episode. Uh, and ah. so that's that's important. So and this so like I said, I listed those 10 reasons. This is like a pretty important episode for the history of Star Trek The Next Generation. So at, at least on that, those terms, you got to check it out. Yeah. OK, we did it. We're in agreement. We did it. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be playing Trek, Mary Kill with an episode of Deep Space Nine. It's from season one. Babel as one of the wildcard episodes that Kristen drew. Yeah, you have me to thank. Yeah, that's right. Uh, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars there or right in your Spotify app wherever you, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen. You can also follow us online on Twitter or X or whatever it's called and Instagram at Trek Mary K Pod. And we just refreshed our website, trekmarykillpod.com, which has all our links and standings and everything we need we've created so far. All right. So until next week, TMK out. TMK out.